Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan, 4815162342 Moriarty. <laughs> Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you, my friend? Those are good numbers. Those are interesting numbers, aren't they? They ring a bell, actually. How's life? Everything's good. I want to tell you this crazy story going on in the neighborhood. Please. This should entertain you. So, okay, where do I start with this? Little neighborhood drama, but in in a funny way, I think in a hilarious way. And actually kind of an awakening for me, an epiphany a little bit at the end of this, at the end of this tale. So get this new family moving into the neighborhood. They moved on to the cul-de-sac, just a couple of houses down from us. They probably bought the house, I was thinking, maybe even back in winter, certainly early spring, and then took a while moving in. We knew that the previous family moved down to Florida or something, and somebody else was coming in, and just through word of mouth, various neighbors talking, supposedly a family from Brooklyn who moved to Philly somewhere in the city limits or whatever, and then eventually bought the house out here in the suburbs. In the Philly Burbs, but there was supposedly a Russian family originally from Russia. Turns out, I think, from what I know, now I still haven't met these people or had any interaction with them firsthand, but they're from Georgia, not the state. Mm-hmm. And then by way of Brooklyn, moved to Philly and then ended up out here in Bucks County. Okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. So I don't know too much about them, but. Husband and wife, apparently, two younger kids, I don't know the ages, maybe eight and ten. They have little miniature dirt bikes, motorcycles, and they ride them around on the cul-de-sac, zipping around at 30 miles an hour with no helmet. So that was our first sort of introduction to these kids, a very very 1970s model. It's introduction to Eastern Europe. Go on. Okay. I accept that. (laughs) I accept that. Yeah, a little bit, little bit crazy, a little bit tough, whatever. Dude, I watched so many videos out of Russia in the Eastern Euro- in the Eastern European countries. It sounds right like I'm right at home. Go on. That is more. an interesting note because mm-hmm. you got you kind of get that flavor a little bit. So, but again, that's our only real interaction or kind of visibility with these people because Helene's just kind of looking out the dining room window and being like, "These kids should wear helmets." That type of thing, day in and day out. Well, it turns out one day. Oh, you know how this started? I remember how this started. My, Lilia's best friend, Julia, her parents are very like into 
New Yorkers also, by the way, transplanted New Yorkers, by the way, very into just like neighborhood. I don't want to say they're gossipy because I really like these people, they're but they're very plugged in. Yeah, they're townies. They're townies. Sure. Perfect yeah. description. They're very plugged into the neighborhood happenings, right? So they always keep everybody informed, but sometimes you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt because rumor mill, so on and so forth. So turns out Julia comes over one day to the house and she says to us, well, this guy is getting ready to put these huge ornamental palm trees on the front lawn. This is what, you know, vis-a-vis Julia's dad, they, they somehow he found that out. So I'm like, that's strange. A strange thing. Well, we'll see what happens. Turns out this guy puts in these two enormous, I'm not even going to exaggerate to you, 16 foot, they're higher than the roof. Or almost as high as the second story. So t- talk about, like a, you know, typical 3,000 square foot brick colonial, very pretty house. Mm-hmm. And this guy erected these two enormous palm trees on the front lawn flanking the front door. Okay. So. How's it look? And, let me tell you. Bad insult <laughs> to injury because now you got, now you're wrapping your mind around the gaudy aspect of this, right? Yes. They, yes, yes, light, yes, yes. they fully light up at night from top to bottom. Full LED wrapping around the trunks of these palm trees, which I would say are honestly 22 inches in diameter. These are not small. And then the top, the palm fronds or whatever, lights up green. Okay. It looks like, honestly, something you would see in the lobby of a Las Vegas casino. You know, gaudy, very decorative. They would look at a place, though. Like Now we're talking about... Bucks County, it's kind of farm country. It's, you know, it's got a certain aesthetic, colonials, traditional, whatever you want to call it, right? A Northeast vibe, a Northeast flavor. But these yeah. things would look at a place in Bel Air. Like, it's just weird. It's, I don't even want to describe it as ostentatious. Everybody has different taste. But I guess it really comes down to a taste thing. But here's the funny part. This guy puts these up. Okay, I don't even know. Helene thinks they're bolted into the ground as if you got a really nice basketball set up, like a sure, really sure, nice, sure. expensive basketball hoop, and you, they literally bolt into the concrete like that. Okay, because I'm not, these things are huge. They're not inflatable or anything like right, that. Right, right. But here's what it's doing it's drawing people down to look at the house in the car. <laughs> like like one of those houses that are decorated really badass for Christmas. But this right. is happening no, totally, in August. Totally. totally. And I could see my neighbors, you know, on adjoining courts and streets that ne- that have no business coming down here because my my cul-de-sac, you got to kind of work to get to this part of the neighborhood, right? You don't just come down here for no reason. And they're driving around the circle. Now, my neighbors with cars that I could identify are coming around in the morning. They're trying to be discreet about it. They're coming really early in the morning before work, you could tell, or at night as the sun's going down. <laughs> so they could check these things out firsthand because Facebook, neighborhood, chat rooms, and all this kind of shit, right? Yeah, yeah. What's, the, what's that app called everyone's on Nextdoor? I don't use it. Yeah, but, Nextdoor, yeah. Jam, whatever, Jamison for us, whatever it is. So here's what I'm thinking, though, right? I'm channeling this back to where we grew up, South Bellport, everything kind of south of Montauk Highway between Montauk Highway and the Bellport Ferry, the Fire Island Ferry, right? Certain aesthetic. You could have a white house with black or green shutters. You weren't coming in there and doing anything 
too bold. You weren't going to paint yeah, your you, house pink. Yeah, you just have your cedar, to your cedar and all these things. Cedar yeah. shakes, yeah. right. That yeah. was acceptable. A few things. And then where we were in Brookhaven Hamlet, just a couple of miles away, same thing. And then it was an aesthetic consideration, but also the wildlife refuge. There was a wildlife sort of consideration there with preservation and you couldn't have street lights and you couldn't have sidewalks, the whole thing. Okay. And then you kind of realize how that's a little bit snobby, right? It's a little bit, well, it is what it is. So people want to be surrounded by a certain aesthetic. There's taste. I get it, right? But then I'm realizing maybe this guy's the only guy with creativity in the entire neighborhood. Or kind of parse that with also the level of courage it takes to be able to do something like that. And like, well, I see any human being could see what this neighborhood looks like and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and paint colors and what's considered stylish and acceptable and all of these things. But I'm going to go outside of those boundaries and just put on, put up these ostentatious, gaudy, right? Palm trees and fuck what everybody thinks. Who cares? Right. And I have to say, it's a little obnoxious. I also could kind of laugh from afar because he's a couple of houses away. He's not my next door neighbor. So there's that temperate with that but also i don't know i'm just kind of acknowledging the fact that who you know what take a walk on the wild side go off the beaten path you know do what you want to do and i think it's really funny and it's it reminds me that we don't see that a lot like people don't go outside of those social norms very much especially when it comes to appearance the way you dress the car you drive the way you decorate that car your house your landscaping all of that thing so I don't know. It kind of taught me a little bit. And Helene's kind of a like mind when I brought up the point. It's like, I don't know. Do you, you know what I mean? Who, what are you going to do? You know, if it's, it's plus, Hey, it's providing entertainment for the neighborhood right now. Yeah. People are yeah, not I, used to this. So, so uh, presumably you don't have an HOA in your neighborhood. You don't have no, an HOA. Nothing like that. So I, I'm, I have an HOA in my neighborhood. I'm not an, an advocate of HOAs, but this is actually like one of the reasons why HOAs exist is yes. that so no one can get away with doing something like this. Great point. But at the same time, it's first of all, you are getting the Eastern European experience. I just don't think you understand like that. <laughs> also, you have there are a few things you need to. I'm very familiar with Eastern Europe because I watch a lot of the random YouTube shit from yeah. there. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. have to watch the YouTuber bald and bankrupt. Bald and bankrupt. Yeah. He's a British dude who speaks fluent Russian and just goes to all these random places. But he literally is like, I'm in Estonia. I'm going on this random bus with a bus ticket, one way bus ticket to this town I've never heard of. It's like 400 people in it. And we're just going to see what happens. And then he just <laughs> and then he just dude, it's so it's fucking aw- and, and he's clearly like ex-military, but he's very coy about it because he he's just like up. very lingual, very savvy but he literally just does crazy shit not even crazy shit he just goes places you would never go and speak to people you would never speak to and so i feel like i have this special connection through him to the most obscure eastern european shit going on over there and this sounds like that dude that's awesome yeah i mean so let me ask you a question yeah please please please. one quick question about this your your take your honest Mm -hmm. take now Mm -hmm. if he doesn't there's two there's two ways you could look at this. This guy doesn't have the wherewithal to realize that this thing that he's doing on his front lawn does not fit within the framework of the aesthetic. Of here. the Franklin, Pennsylvania colonial aesthetic. <laughs> colonial, no, the, uh, the palm Georgian tree does colonial. not fit in with that. No. Right. Or 
he just literally identifies it and doesn't give a shit. Yeah, which I think it's probably I think it's a little bit of both. He's not American, so he has no sensibilities for that. Right. right? He has to be taught that. And and and, like, just like we would just like the things, the the mores in Georgia, like we would have no idea. If I went to Georgia, I wouldn't know what the the specific mores and expectations are in that society. That's a great point. And we're we're really acclimated to the Northeast. Right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. In a place like this. I mean, plus you said they came through New York City much more liberal. And and I'm I'm not saying liberal politically. I'm just saying, like, do whatever you want. So here's the thing is that you're you're between a rock and a hard place because you don't have an HOA and you cannot be the guy that complains about it. So, no, apparently some neighbor did complain about it. And he said to her, now this is all second, third hand. I have no idea if this is really the way it is. He said to her that it was a in his culture. If this is a thing for good luck, but here's the thing. If he, Mm, if he, um, so this is a good luck thing. Okay. Fine. Either way. Do you, you know, like God bless. But for me, I'm wondering, does this guy kowtow to the social pressure once he gets enough complaints or once he sees enough neighbors gawking, pointing, making fun, getting angry, whatever it is, which is not really right. That's what I really realized. Like, that's really not right. Um, And I'm kind of feeling a little defensive for him right now. Hmm. Does he bow to the social pressures and take these things down? I don't. I'm curious to see the way it plays out, but there's a big part of me that would feel really sad if he did because he's trying to do his own thing. And honestly, it's not really hurting anybody. Right. I mean, it it really isn't. I could think of 10 more egregious things in this neighborhood that would aggravate me more than these palm trees. But I'm wondering, it's going to teach me a lot about this guy, this family, but specifically this guy, because if he really doesn't have the wherewithal, then how much of that social pressure and learning and education the hard way, right? The school of hard knocks will teach him and then he'll react accordingly. Or does he really have that fuck you attitude, which I'm kind of rooting for that. I'm rooting for B. Yeah, I don't know. You want to see how this goes. What is America, right? Like, is it when in Rome? Kind of, I guess, but not really. I mean, that's why I get so upset. Not upset. I really don't give a shit. But I mean, it, it annoys me about when people complain about cultural appropriation. I'm like, cultural appropriation is awesome. Everyone should be appropriating everyone's culture as much as humanly possible. Like, that's that is what America is. If you don't Hell like yeah. cultural appropriation, you are that's out of color. your mind. You know, and by the way, you better start checking about 95 percent of the things you do since your culture ind- inevitably didn't come up with any of it. You know, just like ours, like it's like it's just it's just so silly. So when you see things like that, it's like, well, it's good luck in my culture. And it's like, OK, well, it's fine because do we want it to be, you know, mom always laments. Here's a good example. Mom always laments that grandpa never taught them Italian. Right. Yeah. That they never learned right. Italian. They learned words and phrases and this and that. But. They never learned Italian in that generation. A lot of them didn't learn Italian, like the Sopranos generation, for instance, because it was looked down upon to teach kids Italian because they wanted to immerse them into America. So they were like, you don't need to worry about Italian. Don't speak it. Yeah. Don't even acknowledge it. Assimilate. Right? And, yeah. Right. And that's the wrong answer. That was stupid. And that I was agree. only one or two generations that did that. But that put 
that that makes Italian America, I think, and German America and a few others that came in the early to mid 20th century really on the back foot compared to people that came before. So like you think about the people in your area of the woods, the Dutch and the the, the, the German kind of the old style sure. people that still live there to this day. Some yeah. of the Norwegians in Minnesota and Wisconsin and all that. And then later on, a lot of Hispanic, well, actually Asian after the Civil War, then Hispanic and all the rest. They kept their language. And so before and after, obviously, with Spanish and, and all the immigration going on from Africa and all the rest, it's good that they're speaking their languages, not in public. I do think you need to speak English. Oh, well, I don't care if you speak in public, but, you know, in discourse and all of that. But right. it's good to keep that stuff alive. So I guess it's a long winded way of saying, well, that's like his connection to Georgia. It's like, OK, whatever. I mean, I, I but I totally don't live next to that kind of person. So right. it's easy for me to say that as well. Yeah. Most of us will never experience anything like this because people don't go outside of those social norms, especially with things like their house, because that's the way you're perceived. And, you know, I'm certainly guilty of that, too. It's like, what if I really wanted to get creative and do me? It could get pretty crazy, especially someone who's creative or imaginative, artistic. So, yeah, I'm kind of rooting for this guy. But like you said, it's I don't want to talk on both sides of my mouth, though, because you know what I mean? It's uh, it's going to be interesting. I think a lot of this for me is going to see how this guy's personality is like, is he a friendly dude who just really That's what I was going to say has conviction and, you know, really wants to have fun. And maybe it's his first time in a house. That's not, you know, in a city and he has room and he has property and he can finally do these things out, decorate his house outside, put quite simply, right. To have a little space to do things. And so, uh, yeah, if he's a dick, it's probably not going to root for him as much, but that's, that's life, right? That's where we always root for the good guys. Yeah, so I'll I, um, keep you guys posted. I was going to say this, the uh, similar thing, which is that this whole story hinges on him, the guy. Mm. If he's cool, then it, that's going to really be different than if he's a dickhead. And that's that's it. So we have to kind of just see how this plays out. We got to see how it goes. Got to see how it goes. Well, yeah, colorful. Color, it's yeah. been a colorful summer with that. It's been quite entertaining to see the cars pull up and down the street. I'm like, what are these people? Come on, give the guy a break. At least be a little more discreet. You're coming around the cul-de-sac like it's Christmas time, checking out a house with the Christmas lights. It's like... <laughs> but they're entertained. You know, this guy's providing some free entertainment. Give him that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. What's up well, with you, my friend? What's, what's cooking? Nothing really. Week. It's Dana's birthday when we're our sister's birthday when we're recording this. So she everyone's coming over here to my house tonight. Oh, nice. And uh, just cool for a party few hours. For yeah, just a little, yeah, a little party, a little dinner or whatever. And uh, nice. That's so nice. that's good. But um, I just wanted to say two things that were on my mind recently is that I, I've started taking protein powder the last few weeks when oh, I work out. Shit. And uh, it's just weird because I feel like I'm becoming like a gym bro in a little bit. Not you really, are. though, because but, but I work out every day and I'm starting to lift more and do all that kind of stuff. And I'm oh, like literally lifting so hard sometimes where I'm like, ah, you know, are like, you bench pressing? Um, No, 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 no. I have okay. a free free weights and I okay. do like a, a series of different things with them. No, I don't have a bench or anything. Like that. Well, I have a bench, actually, but I don't have the weights for that. OK, um, OK. So, yeah, so I've been doing that. But then I also so I also do cardio every day. You're juicing Pretty hard. I'm juicing. That's right. I'm juicing. <laughs> like Mark McGuire. That's right. So, uh, or Sammy Sosa. So I am, uh, but, so I thought that was interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see how that all plays out, but I also have been more cognizant lately that I, I've just been sweating a lot more recently. And I, I, I don't know why that is like, it's really hot in the South. Obviously it's I'm not hot. used to, I'm not used to it really. LA is, 
pretty hot too but that's true kind of different and i also lived on the water so it wasn't that bad there it wasn't but bad where you were no in, in santa monica but i think it's because like I, I and i was telling micah she doesn't know me from way back in the what then i was like i've had friends like ex-girlfriends and others be like you do not sweat like i don't know what it is about like when i've been in massachusetts or san francisco like it's so strange you don't seem to work up like a sweat or get and and then I, I so I was like, what changed? It must have been the environment. Also, I'm working out all the time. But I also think it's like my medication that I'm taking is making me sweat, too. And uh, it's not like I'm just sweating, just sitting around. But I can't like I get in the shower and then I get out and then I go outside to do something. And I'm like sweating immediately. I'm like, what the fuck? I was, I was walking the dogs after this the other day after getting out of the shower and sweating. And my neighbor's talking to me and I'm, he probably thinks I'm like insane because I'm like just sweating. <laughs> Your clothes are getting darker and darker. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't, I'm just standing there like in a t-shirt and and shorts. So anyway, yeah, so I'm trying to like, you know, watch out for the health, get a little work on my upper body strength. And I've just never really tried. Like I started lifting weights last year, but I'm like really amping it up now because I want to just I don't want to get buff. I just want to see I want to have just some muscles. You know, I'm just looking at you. I could see some difference. There's a little bit. Oh, there's a, I don't want to say definition, but it, I guess it is definition. But the mass, there's something happening there with the upper body, the upper arms, chest, shoulders. Yeah, yeah. dude, there's something going on there. I mean, people that watch your content regularly could probably see that easily. Let's see. I tried to make a muscle. I like did like the whole like bodybuilding thing the other day for Micah and I like hurt myself doing it. I was like, oh, but I, yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not crazy yet but it's, it's getting, not coming out the bottom like mine like Popeye no. like when he before he eats his spinach no but I heard I saw dad last weekend and he said you're, you're looking great before yeah you look good me. I think this is the best you've you've looked it's it's it looks like yeah it looks like you're you're getting buff a little bit I'm gonna, f- I'm gonna fucking kick you through a wall next time I see you <laughs> yeah, you could have done that three years ago <laughs> Thir- 10 years ago Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Let's get into the topic. I'm I am very eager to talk to you about this. The topic at hand is Lost. Oh. The, the TV series, the famous ABC TV go. series that ran from 2004 to 2010. This was our topic. I mean, I put this one in the hopper. I just I had been thinking about it for a while. And um, before I say anything about it, because mm-hmm. there's a lot to say about Lost, especially so season much. one. And, but I want to know. I I tried to kind of ask you, and you wouldn't tell me earlier on. So I want to I want to make clear, and I, I was waiting for the show to say this. I texted Dagan a few episodes in, and I was like, "What do you think?" And he was like, "Well, you know, 
how dare you? You know, we wait for the show. <laughs> I was kind of curious because I'm like, I don't want Dagan to like watch 25 episodes of this thing and hate and he's hating it. Right. So I was kind of curious about that. But in watching it myself for the first time in a long time since it ended, I was I have a lot of disparate thoughts about it and I'm really eager to hear what you think. So what, what was your experience like with season one of Lost? Talk to me about it. Well, I never watched it. And I was eager to go into this. Now, you you were concerned for me because you don't want to do anything that we're not going to both enjoy and everything like that. But I'm kind of looking forward into we, so many of the things we cover, be it a book, a movie, a video game, a TV series, whatever. We had seen it. We have seen already in the past, at least at one point or another. A lot of the times we're super fans of those things. So it's nice to go into something with a fresh set of eyes, something I have no experience with, and just give it an honest to goodness once over and just say, do I like it? Do I not like it? Am I on the somewhere in between in the margins? And I have to say the first thing about this that dawned on me that I think is really refreshing, especially in this age of pop culture and social media and YouTube and subscription services is that I realized going into this episode one of season one that I, this is completely unspoiled for me. I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about this show except that jj abrams was involved in it and that there was some eccentric bald guy on a beach that i see right. images of that's all right. i knew i don't think i even knew that it was a plane crash i knew they were marooned on an island it could have been a shipwreck for all i knew i had no idea so that was really something nice to go into something so legendary completely unspoiled and i still am beyond those first 25 episodes i'm completely unspoiled so i'm really going into something awesome. as a newbie which is really fun. And I have so many thoughts, man. I mean, the show really had me, I don't know, on the on the fence, I will say, for the first probably 15 or 16 episodes of the season. I, I really didn't know what to make of it. And a lot of that was probably because you have expectations of something so beloved going in, something so famous, something so important. Right. So a lot of that was probably tempering expectations, but I'll start it right there that it was really nice to go into something completely unspoiled and just go for an adventure, go for a ride and be surprised by everything, by the tone, by the cast, by the setting, by the acting. I had, and, you know, I had no idea. I really thought this was more going to be more like a reality show. People marooned on an island. I'm channeling maybe, I don't know, Lord of the Flies or right, right. Cast Away. Certainly, you Those know, were the inspirations not... for the show. Survivor 2 yeah. was an inspiration for the show. And, and that's the ultimate two. reality. Yeah, that's the ultimate reality. So show, I wasn't so. I wasn't expecting the supernatural, the mystical, the horrific, um, the monsters and all that kind of thing. I, I had no clue. So it was really nice to go into something where it was like, all right, I'm going for a ride as a as a complete I'm completely green. And um, also, the other thing I should note, I didn't go, like I usually do, I usually go on deep dives with research, whether it's the cast, directors, inspiration, storyline, whatever. I, did, I, I didn't do any of that. There was no YouTube videos. There was really no reading up. It was just everything I could learn by watching the actual 25 episodes and really just immersing myself. And, you know, that's it. So you say you you didn't. Well, first of all, that's good. And it's good because you'll spoil the rest of the show. It's important that you don't 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 do that. I should note, I never watched the last season at all. Oh, um, I, I got so mad at the show towards the end that oh, I like, stopped watching it. 
And uh, I remember I was with my ex-girlfriend Cheryl at the time and she was into it. So she watched it, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even pay attention to it. So I only really read about it at the end. So you got through season five. Currently. Right. And, and okay. I don't remember very much like in watching this. I, it was kind of like watching it new. I'll get into my whole experience with Lost because I think it's really relevant to the, to the foundation of like why some people like it more than other people. But you said you were lukewarm on it for like two thirds of the epi- run, but you, you enjoyed really the, the, you enjoyed the, the tail end of it. Yeah, I felt like and again, this was probably tempering expectations. I felt like it was going to be a different tone. I felt like the first and, you know, it might be it might still be kind of washing over me and I might still be digesting it. But I felt like it was very soapy. And it w- or it was soapier than I expected. You know, you have a lot of beautiful people. I feel like it was ex- this is an extremely tragic situation. And almost from the get go, like they weren't playing it up with that kind of dire emotion that you would expect to see. I wasn't expecting, again, the supernatural elements, whether it's aliens or supernatural or horror or monsters or dinosaurs, whatever's going on here still a lot of questions wasn't expecting the flashback so there was a lot of things that i think i had to acclimate with and then i think for me i started to really respond to it in a positive way once the drama got kicked up a little bit and it felt a little more i guess by that point you're already getting invested in the characters too which is not a coincidence probably, but I felt like once things got a little more serious for lack of a better word, I, and that was probably around episode 16, 17, maybe with son and Jin's relationship currently on the Island and, and the, the stress and the tension with that. And then Charlie and Claire, and then everything happening, you know, later on in that series with Boone and everything. I think that's when I really started to get drawn in and say, okay, I respond to this. I think there might be something too that's going to be a little hard for you, Kyle, and people that are well acquainted with the series that have watched this already, where I have a sneaking suspicion that this show is going to be awesome in retrospect once things certain things get revealed and we find out what's really going on here and i know we're dealing with jj abrams and i know we're dealing with the mystery box and there's probably going to be a new question or two for everyone answered but i'm thinking once certain things are achieved once certain milestones are hit i think it's going to be one of those formulas where it feels like, all right, everything's kind of settling into place. And now I see the brilliance in this. And I think that's still in the offing for me. I have a suspicion. I may be wrong about that, but that's what I think because most things, modern things that we've watched together, right? Breaking Bad, Sopranos, Mad Men. We haven't done the wire yet, but that certainly fits the bill. True detective season one. I fell in love with those things almost instantly. And this has been a little bit more of a courtship so far. But I could say by the end of season, by the end of this 25th episode, I'm in and my curiosity is peaked. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that because I, I was worried about it. The reason I was worried about it is I'll, I'll go into just this question here that gets into it is Mike D wrote in and said, Mike, D, <laughs> I recently no. started rewatching this. Despite enjoying it years ago, I was struck by how annoying all the characters are, the dragged out scenarios and the constant flashbacks. It feels like the quality of TV shows has improved so much that this has aged very poorly. Is this something you have found going back into it? I don't know that it's aged very poorly, and I certainly don't agree that all the characters are annoying. I think 
actually a lot of the characters are awesome. I'm really interested in I love the ensemble of characters. They don't maybe execute always well on them, but having this different cast of characters and, and backgrounds and intents and all that, I think is super cool. But I do think that the quality doesn't hold up. There is a. I don't know when it happened. I don't know what the show is that did it, but and it was around the writer's strike, which happened towards the end of Lost. OK, TV got better, way better. And while there's examples of TV before Lost and during Lost, that's that are in some ways way, way, way better. Like, And The Sopranos, for instance, ended during Lost's run. So, I mean, there is like overlap there as an example. Great point. There is a higher bar these days for exceptional what was appointment, but now is streaming binge watching television and no lost. It's surprising to me because when I when I um, was going back to it, I, I in my mind, I was always remembered. I was like lost season one and two are awesome, especially season two in my mind. That was how I remembered it being like, these are awesome. And then the show gets more controversial from there. But in going back, what I realized was what I think made the show not seem as good as I remembered is, is it's just too long. There's just mm. too much. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that because 24 and and this it's really 25, but it's 24 because there's an hour finale, I think, but Mm. or a 90 minute finale, whatever it was. But that's a long season of TV that you do not really see anymore. And it's not really necessary that people assume that shows were that long because of the demand of the show show storytelling, whether it was serialized or whether it it, it was a more procedural show. But that's not really true was to fill in seasons and expectations for what at the time were network and later, you know, expanded cable kind of offerings where there were commercial buys and ad buys and you had to fill things in and you had to have these weeks, you know, 12 weeks before Christmas, 12 weeks after Christmas. And right. it's it, so you had to figure out how to make that work. There was no other there wasn't no other way of really doing it at that time. There were miniseries and, and but this was kind of how it was done. But by the time Lost ends, we start getting we're on the cusp of a show like House of Cards. That I think totally changed the game as far as presentation, execution, availability and all the rest. And so Lost feels a lot like a relic. If you could go back and re-edit Lost, you could probably get rid of you would have to rework everything. But you can get rid of probably at least a third of the time from this season. And you don't need it at all. And you could leave all the mysteries exactly where they are, all the character development exactly where it is. But you didn't need to waste so much time on so many things. So that's kind of what I noticed going into it. However, one of the things I wanted to say and one of the things that I think is vital to liking the show or not, and I hate to be this guy, is were you there or not when it was happening? Yeah. And Andres wrote in and said, nothing will ever match the experience of speculating as a community on online message boards, hyper analyzing every scene and clue on a weekly basis to try to figure out what's going on in the show. I do believe that this show is one of those rare things where you had to be there to fully understand it because it was a cultural phenomenon and you know it had 15 20 million viewers at at its peak every week and i was in college when it came out so i was right in the pocket of this but what's funny is that i didn't know anything about lost until near the end of the second season when my friend Brandon, who was one of my roommates when I was a freshman, but we used to hang out. He was like, you got to watch this show Lost. And I remember, Dagan, to your point, because I used to watch TV all the time. Everyone used to watch TV. So I would see commercials for Lost on a constant basis when we were watching ABC. Right. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, it it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. It's like, it's the guy from Lord of the Rings and the guy from Party (laughs) of Five. And 
they're on a beach and it looks like really soapy and dramatic and it's just like love stories or something because they did a really bad job in my opinion of advertising what it really was which was a sci-fi show mm. and right right from the the lost the lost intro in the beginning when the things turns it's fucking twilight zone i mean it's totally obvious what they're like what it's an ode to and it's funny because i read that and i remember saying that before i ever knew that i'm like this is so obviously an ode to twilight zone just the way it int- the, the intro so they never set it up properly to capture someone like me during the time. But beginning with season three, I was watching it. And that was when the show was really most popular. That was when it was starting to capture people through DVD and all of the rest, DVD yeah. by mail and going out and buying them. And it was really interesting because it's pre-social media, but it's during we're well into the Internet era. So people were on message boards. And I remember at IGN, it was crazy popular loss, like speculating over loss and doing all that. Got lots of time on IGN. And so I do think it's one of those things that you had to be there for because it was pretty unique in that way, in the way people absorbed it, the way it became a cultural phenomenon. And the people I knew in college that were watching it are not people that you would think would be into it. My girlfriend in college was really into it. Who was a, she was just a sorority girl. She loved it. Right. Um, my friends that were like pharmacy majors and engineers and all these random people like every I remember gathering at people's apartments to watch it. And I remember that with Sopranos as well, which also ended when I was in college. And so I think that zeitgeist is really part of it and it can't be recaptured. And it's it's a product from another era, really, even though it's not that old. It's it's a totally different. It's a network TV product. It's just not we don't make shows like that anymore. Very true. So I think that's probably why you feel because I agree. It's way soapier than I remember. It's way it's 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 it feels longer than I remember. And I don't feel like they were very judicious or economical with getting the story out in this season. But a lot of people really, really dig this season. Now, I'm wondering what you make of the overall story. Oceanic Flight 815 flying from Sydney to L.A. crashes on an island that seems to be unfindable or something's going on date what is going on Dave? i mean since you don't since you have no insight into anything yet what do you even think is happening yeah it's really i mean first of all i could already see one season in that whole zeitgeist water cooler nature of this thing where i do kind of regret not being there for that you know those communal investigations discussions week after week that weekly serial cliffhanger model of this where everybody's trying to figure it out especially as things get ramped up and you realize this is not just a plane crash story there's something more going on here so i could definitely see that and it's also a very clever model if you think about it you have the mystery elements sci-fi is introduced maybe horror we don't know yet romance so there's a little something for everybody so if you look at it from purely from a marketing standpoint or a money-making standpoint it's a very clever thing because it's all welcoming, right? It's like every everybody's there's a little there's a little tidbit for something for everybody. So everybody's everybody come in, everybody enjoy. And yeah, I mean, I that again, I was kind of thrown because I don't know what I was expecting, but I guess I, at the center of the thing, I was just expecting that this is a survival story. Think Lord of the Flies, and I guess I'm thinking about all the things that we grew up with that's applicable to this model, right? Whatever the tone, Gilligan's Island, Lord of the Flies, Swiss Family Robinson. You know, is is there something Jurassic Park or Cloverfieldy going on here? Whatever it is, Land of the Lost, you know, whatever. Who who knows? And you're trying to figure it out as you go along. But there's two things. You realize there's two things going on here. 
that are sort of enveloping you or getting you to come along for the ride or getting you invested is this community of people who are, you know, disparate strangers that have to form a family in order to survive in this foreign place, this island in the middle of the South Pacific. And they were a thousand, you know, a thousand miles off course. So the, the likelihood of them getting rescued seems minimal. Right. And then you have something else going on here, too, where each one of these people are bringing their own unique baggage issue, drama, problem, backstory into their into the, you know, into this thing, too. So each one of them you're rooting for on a personal basis, too. So you have kind of this dual pronged thing going on where you're just really invested in these people. And now it's it's getting ratcheted up because they're dealing with some unforeseen force, some science fiction, horror, supernatural, mystical elements that we're trying to figure out, that we're trying to play detective as it goes along, too. So it's very clever. And I think I would have been really happy to see that. But I guess we're still in the offing of trying to figure out a lot of things by the time this season ends. Although... Certainly conjecturing and guessing comes in even this early on, right? But I mean that's really it. Is it's that and you know what and you know what really moved me by the end of this, Kyle? I don't even know what made me think of this or go off in this direction emotionally, but I think of just life, right? We're kind of thrust together with strangers on a daily basis, right? We're in the supermarket together, on the highway together, in an airplane, on a train, in a restaurant, whatever. And 99.9999% of the time, we do our time in that place with said strangers and then go off in our own direction and never really have any interaction, maybe, you know, in all likelihood, never see these people, these specific people again. And then in that very small fraction of time, some sort of emergency or catastrophe or situation event turns you into a family. And that idea really got me it's like these 48 people or by the time everything shakes out 40 something people by the end of the season they're thrown together and become a family because of just human nature but also leaning on each other for survival and that was the thing that struck me it was like wow these people these if that plane had landed safely in la from sydney 15 hour flight whatever it is and they had landed on the tarmac and gotten out and got their bags out of the overhead compartments and gone on on their separate ways. That's usually how it works out. But in this one specific case, these disparate random collection of strangers apparently are kind of thrown into this situation together. And that is an idea that I keep thinking of episode after episode. It's like, wow, this, this unexpected situation completely changes all their lives and makes these previous strangers the most important people in the, each other's lives all of a sudden the the model of that is fodder for amazing content i think yeah i agree with you you're right it's like the world your world is moving and, and everyone's worlds are moving like molecules through each other and then this just freezes it in place and takes your surroundings and makes it into a catastrophic situation with whatever's around you whoever's around you i think that's super neat and i totally agree with you that it's um it's one of the notable aspects of this 
show. The other notable thing that I love about the show is the flashbacks. I like the flashbacks. Um, yeah, they're awesome. a lot. And seeing how everyone interacts with each other before things happen. Like there's there's some pretty cool scenes. For instance, I think in. Yeah, in the in one of the houses or in the, in the apartment that the the Kims are in son and Jin on the TV in the background is is Hurley on TV. If you look winning the lottery, but it oh, happens shit. like seven episodes before you even find out that he wins the lottery. Like there's That's things like awesome. that all the time in the show. But what's interesting is it shows that they are interconnected actually before the events, or at least that's what it's that it indicates. Right. And so I think that there's some pretty cool connective tissue there as well. I love mysteries like this. That's why I was interested in getting you to watch this, because I feel like especially the next season, now that they're getting into the hatch and everything, you're going to it's getting it's going to get really good now. Now, I this is the shit I really remember loving coming up. But I think I made a list okay. in addition to having stuff from the audience to bring is bring in as well. But I made a list of mysteries and I made a list of characters. OK, and I figure we can go through each of them and just sure. touch on them as little or as much as we want to. And so let's start with the characters before we get into the mysteries. Okay. Let's start with what I think we can agree is our protagonist, Jack. Jack, of course, is uh, played by Matthew Fox, famous actor. I don't know what happened to Matthew Fox as of late, but mm. we knew Matthew Fox, of course, from Party of Five, uh, where he played Charlie Salinger, Charlie, of course. Man. But if you look at his um, his filmography, he does very little like he doesn't mm. do very much at all. In fact, after Lost, like he's done one small TV role, it looks like, and maybe a couple movies. So he wow, doesn't really. That's interesting. But I think some of these guys like they made I, I can't quite recall, but I think by the end of Lost, like the entire ensemble were making millions of dollars an episode, plus all the syndication rights and all this. Like, I, I think there are just some guys that don't love it that much. And I, I think he was like, I did. I did this. I did Party of Five for seven years. I did a loss for six years. It's like, all right, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Tens of millions of dollars in the bank. Disney and, money. Right. It's like, I'm, I'm all I'm all set. So it's so I think that that's but I have always found that interesting about him because I know him from those two roles because I used to like Party of Five a lot, too, as you know, I used to watch that with Dana. So what do you think about this character of Dr. Jack Shepard? The surgeon finds himself on the island as kind of the people everyone looks towards him to kind of lead and he does he takes the initiative hardworking uh, we find out a little bit about his past he's going to Australia to retrieve his father we find out and a lot of this stuff by the way was stuff I totally forgot about like all of the really small things that even might have went over my head when I was like 20 years old but that he fucks his well he doesn't fu his father fucks him by calling him into a surgery where he nicks this woman's artery or something she ends up dying and he he asks his son Jack to cover for him. He doesn't. He kind of go. He's always been an alcoholic, and that's why he did this in the first place. But he kind of goes on a binge, ends up in Australia, and dies at some point. Jack goes and retrieves him. So that's what we know about Jack so far, as far as I know in the show. Yeah. And there's also some other interesting interactions. We we know that Sawyer, for instance, had an interaction in Australia with Jack's dad, and there was all these weird intertwining things. So what do you think about Jack Shepard? Yeah, man, I'm not even sure I knew Matthew Fox was in this, let alone the protagonist. But I, he, he was great. It was so cool to see him pop up because he's so charismatic. Obviously, he's extremely handsome. I really admire this, just the way everything he embodies physically is like, wow. I wish I could be that guy, almost like a George Clooney, you know, type, or you know, a John Hamm, like that, that level of charisma. So it is kind of shocking that Matthew Fox doesn't do more. And, you know, he's kind of seen as the leader. Now, he's a doctor, he's a spinal surgeon, and he's got that knowledge. But what I love about the character so far is that 
he brings an equivalent level of emotional baggage just like everybody else he's got his monkeys too and i like that you know that he he is a leader he's he's courageous and he's got that selflessness about him but he's got those chinks in his armor just like everybody else which makes him you know puts puts him on equal footing and i think that plays up the tension too because you could see his weakness as well even though you know he's on the outside he's holding it together maybe better than the majority of them but he's got those you know he's got that soft underbelly as well which is really makes him a great character and i have to say one of the stronger character performances in the show too i think there is some really good acting in the show and some not quite up to snuff acting but matthew fox does a great job and you know he's a he's a leader he's a protagonist you could really root for yeah i agree he he's a a very interesting i feel bad for him there's something absolutely he's there's a few things caught in this love triangle with kate and sawyer yeah everyone looks to him for advice leadership he's also on call for this all the stuff with the medical stuff i mean the situation where he's tied into boone and the other stuff's happening with claire and he can't even really go is so so interesting like so it goes to really show and i think illustrate really well why he's under so much pressure he's also doesn't really trust a lot of people you know he has a kind of an adversarial relationship with Locke, who's my favorite character we'll talk about him in a little while and so yeah jack we're just getting to know jack now but a lot of sadness there as well and we'll, we'll find out more in season two. Let's talk about Kate. Kate is a is a pretty interesting character in and of herself in, in of in and of herself. Uh, played, I think, pretty pretty well by um, Evangeline Lilly. What do you think about Kate's character? This mysterious prisoner on the run, chased down by a U.S. marshal into Australia, betrayed by a farmer who was supposed to help we find out that she's responsible for the death of her old lover who she rendezvous with one day and basically uses him to help her mother who freaks out when she sees her and we also know that she like engineers a bank robbery simply to get this old memento of her ex-boyfriend as well so kate's an interesting character again caught into this this love triangle what do you think of her and her performance such an interesting character. Evangeline Lilly does such a good job. I don't know. She played one of the elves in the Hobbit series, right? Or something. But I don't know her from a lot. Um, I know the name because the name is so iconic. Evangeline yeah, she plays Lilly, Toriel. So, yeah. Right? But I don't right. know her from very many things. And I think she's she does a wonderful job. An awesome performance and a cool character. At first, a little bit of a character that, for me, I was really trying to figure out. It's like, how is this innocuous girl? Not that she can't be tough or strong or all the girl power stuff, of course. But like, how can this girl who seems so smart and level headed and kind and everything? She's got this obvious criminal background. She's being escorted by an air marshal on the plane. It's like, what did what you know, what did she do? And I don't even think we find out the core crime that puts her on the run from the law yet. I don't think we found out yet. But we see her running afoul of the law, the bank robbery, her now doctor boyfriend getting killed because she tries to get away from the police. By the way, what is it with her and doctors? That's another thing we got to start asking ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But really great character and another one of our protagonists and somebody who you're really trying to figure out. And interestingly, it's kind of a neat thing that they do. You're rooting for this character without knowing 
exactly what she's guilty of. And that's interesting. That's an interesting position to put the audience in. Because you really don't know if you're rooting for a good guy or a bad guy ostensibly yet, right? Like Indeed. you really don't Indeed. know at this point. And that's fun, I think. That's a fun thing to do. All right. Yeah, I agree. By the way, um, it, it's interesting because she's like Matthew Fox where she doesn't do very much. She actually does very little. The What people would really know her from today, she is in the MCU. She plays the Wasp. Um, in like in the Ant-Man. Oh, universe. in the Ant-Man film. Yeah, I have to see those. So, but otherwise she has even fewer acting credits than Matthew Fox. And I think it's another example of like, well, Lost I mean, Jesus money, Christ, baby. dude. I, <laughs> I, I, I can totally understand that. I mean, at what point do you just say like, fuck it? I mean, maybe you get bored or whatever, but I don't know that I would if I had all that money. Okay, next we have uh, Sawyer. And... Um, I'm very curious to hear what you think of Josh Holloway's performance. Josh Holloway, I actually really liked later on in a in a in a boarded, unfortunately, sci-fi series on Fox. No, it was on USA. Um, it was called uh, Colony, and I really liked it. I, I used to watch mm. it when I was in California. It ran for three seasons. It was about an alien invasion of the Earth, but it's about how the there's some humans that work with the aliens um, and are basically collaborators with the aliens. And so it was super cool. And it, it was starred him and the mom from who I, I can't remember her name from The Walking Dead. So he's been around. He does a few things here and there. And I, I, I know that I really wanted to support him there as well. He played 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 basically the same character. Oh, uh, really? He, as you could, yeah, it's just like a you know, Sawyer like character in a dystopia, you know. So what do you think about Sawyer? We know he's a con man. In fact, I think the episode that you kind of get introduced to him with all that is called Confidence Man. And he has this thing where he he's like lets the money out of the suitcase and tricks the woman into thinking that they're basically getting in on this great deal, convinces them to go halves with him on this fake oil rig or whatever they're investing in and then moves on to do it to the next woman and so on and so forth. And um, we learn that he is on his way out of Australia and on Oceanic Flight 815 because he's deported. So he's he's thrown out. And so he finds himself on this plane. What do you think about Sawyer? I mean, this guy, I'm not familiar with him at all, you know, the actor. And he really felt like somebody so out of days of our lives or General Hospital, just super handsome, you know, oozing good looks. But I really got to like the character. I mean, he plays a really convincing, slimy confidence man, you know, the total self-preserving type, but charismatic you know, just that that guy who's the looking out for number one type. And you're wondering, like, is he going to be kind of like more of a Han Solo type where you could root for that? Or is he going to be somebody who kind of lets the others blow in the wind? And, you know, obviously you're not going to root for somebody like that. But slowly there's a thaw with the character over the course of the season and an understanding and also one of the characters once you get those flashbacks with him and you see what he's gone through really gives you a modicum at least of sympathy for the character and you could see how he got there you could see how he got to be this guy that's on the island now that's hoarding all the supplies in the plane and he won't give the inhaler to shannon like that type of dude like where he's just really that looking out for number one nobody else matters but that slowly starts to get chiseled away over the course of the season. And one of those guys, you know, really one of those things I find myself rooting for a Jack and Sawyer sort of understanding. Cause you think these two characters might 
really when they get together they could probably do great things you got the quick-witted con man type you got the knowledgeable and unselfish doctor like if these guys could just kind of knock it off and stop the infighting you know they might be able to do some great things together so i find myself rooting for that relationship to happen but you know a really fun character and in the beginning maybe a little aggravating because it really gave me that soap opera feel but you know won me over I love when the uh, I, I, I think it's someone's knocked in the water. I guess it's maybe um, Jin is knocked in the water at the very end of this. The last episode. And he like does this like swan dive into the water to like, again, it's just ridiculous. That's right. He totally does. It's so funny. Yeah, he's definitely a pretty boy. But oh, we'll, yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah, see much yeah. more of Sawyer. How about Saeed played by Naveen Andrews? We find out he's a, an ex Iraqi Republican guard and interrogation officer. Pretty dark background i think it's especially important dagan to point out the the timeliness of his character being in this show and the way he is treated especially early on it's supposed to really be a mirror up in america about the way we maybe were treating middle eastern people post 9-11 and certainly going to iraq and 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 having a direct connection to all of that i really like that it kind of confronted america and the west through fiction in a pretty clever way so I like this character a lot. He's obviously really into tech and he has a lot of knowledge on military affairs and and all the rest. So he plays a very important role in their survival. What do you think of that character? Yeah, great character. Really one of my favorites so far. Um, great performance. And it yeah, it definitely is timely. I even think about Lost this season, 2004, 2005, and then it spans through 2010, I believe. Right. For the for the final season. Right. That's right. But only coming, you know, 2004, we're talking about three years after 9-11, right? So the timeliness of not only having a, a plane crash story, but I like tying in this Middle Eastern character and the racism that he's dealing with on the island. And then in the flashbacks, when he sits down on the plane, the guy next to him is kind of giving him the, the thin eye. And, you know, but he's a good guy. You know, he's a he's an Iraqi Republican guard. And he's also a linchpin for our heroes on the island because, again, he has that military background just like the Jack character has that medical background, it's, you know this guy's going to be important for their survival. He knows guns, he knows tactics, he knows people. He's he's a he's a tough guy, and um, really really a fun character. And I like what they do too with him, with the relationship with the younger sort of Paris Hilton princess type. Um, I I didn't see that coming. And that was kind of a fun little thing to do in there, too, where I don't know, there was part of me over the course of the season where I was like, all right, everybody's pairing off. And that's a little aggravating. But I think, A, it's kind of fun. And B, it probably would happen like that. Right. It probably would. That's just human nature. You're going to kind of find each other and. You're going to hit it off with certain people and relationships are going to form even in a situation like that. So I like there's even a little reality about that sort of thing. You know, love blossoming in, on the island despite this catastrophe. What about uh, Jin and Sun? We can take them together. Played by Daniel Day Kim, who might be one of the more famous people in this show, actually. And Yeon Jin Kim, who I think is still active in South Korean um, media today in in various TV shows and movies. What do you think of their characters? We learn some pretty interesting things about them. Obviously, Sun comes from a very rich South Korean family. Her husband is of a lower 
caste, I guess, in that society. And he comes from a fisherman's village and he courts her and they fall in love. But in order to kind of be with her, we find out through insinuation anyway that he's basically become a fixer and maybe even a hitman for her father. And we also find on Sun's part that she kind of wants to escape. She's scared of this life. She learns English and actually was planning on getting away. Neither of them probably would have been on the plane had she decided to go through with it um, and, and just leave him. So a lot of interesting stuff here as well. And I think a pretty sad arc, too, in a lot of ways. And I really love the scene with Jin when he goes and visits his dad mm. uh, in, the, in one of the flashbacks. I think that's a really, really great scene. And he apologizes and they have very and, he, and the dad is like very stoic. And it's a great performance. Like he's very stoic and, and kind of just a man about it and gives him advice and tells him to go. And so what do you think about Jin and son and their uh, relationship. I really like them. And again, I think they're the two characters that kind of brought me into the fold and got me invested in the drama and took it out of soap opera material and kind of escalated it to the next level for me, oddly enough. It's a really interesting story. I mean, I guess really what they're saying is that Sun's dad is like the head, if not the top guy at like the Kia or the Hyundai, the, you know, the Korean, the South Korean car company. So she comes from an extremely wealthy background. And here's this guy that's courting her that is, you know, of the lowest class, most blue collar fishing village type of guy who has conviction in her, you know, his love for her. And then she's cool enough to fall back in love with him, even though she's of this noble background, super wealthy background. And it's so interesting what happens that the father accepts him or the father-in-law accepts Jin under the terms that he'll come work for him, but then puts him in this situation where he's not just a car company executive. He's a, he's an assassin. He's a hitman. I mean, really, that is what he is. I like describing him as a fixer, Kyle, and that he's got this darkness, but at the same time, there's this conflict because he's doing it for love. He knows that's the only way he's going to be accepted into this family and have son as his wife. So he's got to do the father-in-law's bidding. So it's really dark and he does those things. You know, we see him come home with the bloody hands and he's washing in the sink. And But he's also, we learn on the island that he's very controlling. He doesn't let her walk around with her button unbuttoned or let alone, God forbid, in a bikini and... So there's a lot of things going on in this relationship. And I love what you said, too. Good, good reminder. I almost forgot that Sun was in the offing of leaving him at the airport. She mm. had the whole thing set up through a proxy. And she was getting ready to go into hiding, basically, to get out of this relationship, whether it was fear or unhappiness or a combination of both. And she's thrust into the, back into this marriage. She has her second, you know, she second guesses at the airport, but she's thrust into this marriage again when they crash land on this island only hours later. So it's a really interesting, they have, they really have one of the more interesting backstories, I think. And, uh, super fun, super, super fun. And you really want to see it work out for them. I, and they essentially, essentially get divorced on the island and then come to some sort of understanding again, right before Jin leaves on the raft. Right. And I so like, yeah, really I like it, for him. a little frustrated about one thing when she gives him that book with the Korean terms. Oh, sure. It's like, yeah. why didn't you write the English terms there so that other guys on the boat can read the thing and say, like, this is what we're talking oh. about, like both ways. A little frustrating because she can speak bit, both languages. A little she could have done that. A little weird. A little strange. Right. Let's talk about 
Locke, John Locke, Terry O'Quinn, who by for my money, my favorite character, because I think there's the most mystery around him. He's he embraces the island most because he's the one that's most immediately changed by the island. And he can walk after being, you know, um, paralyzed for several years. Now, we get a lot more of his background later on. But oh, man, this character is awesome. I love Locke. I love how he has this affinity for the island and will do. And, and re, he's he immediately knows, but keeps to himself that there's something up here. Like before anyone else knows, he knows that something is up with this island. And I also like this idea that he plays around with, especially with Boone, where he feels like he's losing his connection and power with the island and needs to like regain it. So he's he's deeply entwined with the mysteries, which are the most interesting part, I think, of this whole show. What, what do you think of John Locke? Don't tell him what he can't do. <laughs> Dude, whose favorite character is somebody besides John Locke? I mean, he's the enigma of the whole show so far. Such an interesting character. The more you get of him, the more interest he garners. It's such a strange character. Such an awesome performance. I remember... Th- you know, the first, I don't know how many episodes, handful of episodes, I'm thinking, okay, who is this CIA black ops dude? Because he, he's just obviously, he's got this wherewithal, he's got this survival training and stuff. But then you learn he's just like some office worker at a box company where he's from. And he's just like this vacation adventurer type guy, like this weekend warrior type. And then the reveal is that he goes to Australia and I think that's when they reveal that he's uh paralyzed from the waist down. And you're like, "Oh, what what is happening right now?" But then some for some reason when they crash on an island, he gets the use of his legs back. And then you're just wondering what is going on with this guy and you're spoon-fed his background via flashback like everybody else and you find out everything like his parents sold him up the river for a, one of his kidneys like they, it's like, whoa, like what, you know, he worked at a toy store. Like he has the exact opposite background that you think initially this guy came from. You know, he's hunting boars in the woods with a buck knife. And it's like, what kind of badass is this guy? Like Mission Impossible, Secret Service type dude. And he's the exact opposite. But again, he's the type of dude. It's like every question that's answered, there's two more that's un- unfurled for us. And... I'm I'm in with this character. I have no idea if his intentions are good, if they're bad. He seems like a good guy most of the time, but then things get a little dark. He's responsible for the first character on the island's death and sort of runs from that and tries to hide things from the others. So there's a lot of questions around this character, but I, I would be in just for him at this point. He's he's enough to keep you going, I think. Yeah, he's great. Uh we learn so much more about him. He's obviously central to the show, so we can't we don't know nearly enough at this point. I also I there is I, I remember quite a bit about his story later on, and there's a specific character that's introduced in his flashbacks, and I know you'll know who I'm talking about when you see the actor okay. that plays this person for sure. Keep that in mind. All right. Charlie, let's talk about Charlie. We haven't talked too much about him. Actually, we haven't really talked about Charlie at all. He's also one of the more Famous actors, Dominic Monaghan, obviously, from Lord of the Rings and many other things. Charlie Pace, ex-rock star, bassist of Drive Shaft, singers of You All Everybody, the smash hit. What do you think about this character tortured by drug abuse and all the rest? We don't get to know 
too much about him. But what's interesting is that we find that he's kind of in the thrall of his older brother, who's the singer of the band and kind of comes to emulate him. And when the lifestyle kind of takes over and they have this old promise to kind of walk away, they end up not. And he ends up kind of becoming like his brother. And then his brother gets out and has a life and success and a family and all this. And Charlie's all fucked up. And so the shoes on the other foot. So pretty interesting and tragic character there, too. Of course, he has a, a relationship with Claire, who we'll talk about in a little while on the island and and all the rest and, and a relationship with Locke as well. I, lo- I actually love the thing where Locke tells him to keep asking him for the drugs and he'll give him back. I, I like that. That whole it's very weird Locke thing, but it's yeah, it's good. So what do you think about Charlie Pace? Yeah, man. Marry a, bo- marry a Doc Brandy book. Cousin Mary. I didn't know Cousin Mary was going to be in the show. He's probably, Charlie's probably the first character who I was really down for. I really liked him from the start. Again, this English member of this rock band, you know, famous rock band or a rock band who was in the throes of getting famous and his monkey is the heroine. And I love, it took me episodes to realize once they found that plane with the blessed mother, the Mary lawn ornaments with the heroine inside I didn't even realize how that's going to become a thing. That's going to kind of tie up with Charlie's trying to kick his head. Yeah, like he has an infinite amount of it, basically, if he wants it now. It's unbelievable. Yeah. That was such yeah. a clever thing to, to tie into the story with the character. Totally. And, you know, he's that guy. He's that junkie, but he's got the heart of gold. And he's the one taking care of Claire and her baby. And a character I think you could really get behind a roof for. And also actually commits the first murder on the island, doesn't he? Right. He blows up that the, the mysterious Ethan mm-hmm. that's Ethan trying wrong. to negotiate with him and get answers. And he just blows him away. You know, so, again, that darkness, too, with the character, um, a lot of the characters thrown up in that sort of gray area. And that's what makes them interesting. I think we also have Michael and Walt, his son, Walt. I think this is one of the more interesting arcs so far. And Harold Perrineau does a really nice job, I think, as this character as well. Michael. What do you think of this father-son relationship? They're stuck on this island, but they don't really know each other. I like a lot of the little touches. We find out, for instance, that the dog isn't really the son's dog. We find out that mm. he, you know, the dad wanted to be involved. And we, we slowly learn that he was kind of, I don't know. Michael's maybe a little bit of a low life or kind of a, a, a dreamer where he, you know, he was an artist, but he didn't really have a job and he was working odd jobs. And he's just this very educated and climbing woman that kind of leaves him behind. I like how it puts it on the other foot a little bit where the woman is in the position of power financially and all of the rest, which the man usually is. However, it also touches on this idea of of men losing touch with their kids because of the decisions of women and all of that. So I think there's a lot of depth to the relationship between Michael and Walt, and I dig it a lot. And then I like how he kind of comes to really love this boy. He loved him as a small infant as well uh, uh, we find out but is driven to create this boat to get off the island really to save his son so i really like that i think it's quite touching and i think it's touching on the other side that walt although i don't think he admits it to michael at this point that he's the one who fucked up the first boat what do you um what do you make of michael and walt yeah dude and you know that's really everything that you said is really well said and also you know what happens is trying to and trying to rescue his son he just feeds his son ends up feeding his son to the lions that the result of that trying to get off the island is actually that that's pretty much how the season ends which is so interesting i love harold per, uh, Perinal. i think i was introduced to him 
in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. That's the Leo DiCaprio Claire Danes joint. And he plays Mercutio in that. And he's so good in that, dude. You got you guys got it. He's not in it long. So he plays Romeo's best friend in that. He's awesome. But there's so I was really excited to see Harold uh, Harold Perrineau pop up here. But I don't think he does that great of a job in this show. He's a better actor. His performance is a little clumsy, I think. But the character is interesting because of everything you said. He's kind of this alienated father who's, you know, the struggling artist type and maybe a little irresponsible. And the wife is the this intelligent professional who pursues her interests and ends up leaving him and sort of tossing him to the tossing him to the side but you could kind of understand where she was coming from with that leaving and starting a career and then it turns out she falls in love with the head of her law firm and marries this guy and pretty much pretty much kicks Michael to the curb and and yanks him out of the the baby sons at that time Walt's life and now he's trying to make up for lost time with the son and it's cool. It's cool to have that father-son relationship on the island. And it, you you really do empathize with Michael because he's trying to build this relationship while he's in this impossible situation. So he's trying to do this impossible thing with this already impossible, under these already impossible conditions, which is, you know, kind of heart-wrenching in a way. But uh, it's interesting. And, you know, he's and he's one of the main characters. And then there was something in the season where they seemingly have dropped where I thought some sort of romance was being kindled slowly between Michael and son. And then they seem to kind of throw that by the wayside. And I think when you're juggling 14 main characters and then you have these other extraneous characters, you got to be careful with that. Right. Because you're trying to handle a lot. And sometimes they drop things like that, but they seem to have dropped that for now. So I'm wondering if they're going to go back to that. I don't really know how they could because Michael, Sawyer, Walt, and Jin are off the island on the raft right now. But um, that was an interesting plot development that I was interested to see if they they flesh out or if they're just going to leave that alone now. How about Boone and Shannon? played by Ian Somerhalder and Maggie Grace. Now, this is funny. They might actually be the two most famous people on this show. Mm. Maggie Grace is the girl from Taken. She's yes. the, 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 the one that gets taken three Liam different Eason's times daughter. inexplicably. And um, Ian Somerhalder is uh, from the Vampire Diaries, which ran for a really long time on mm. the CW. And so like big with teen girls and all that kind of stuff. So they're they're low key famous as well. Now, I really like these characters a lot. First of all, Boone's got the the very early to mid 2000 mid aughts look to him, like the the guy liner type look. He, I don't think he's wearing it, but I love that look. I remember being really enamored with that when I first saw him in, in the show. I was like, oh, this guy's really handsome. Um, and then we learn that they're brother and sister, but they're actually not. They're stepbrother and stepsister. And Boone basically travels around saving and helping his sister, his stepsister, Shannon, but then we learn that Shannon is basically taking advantage of him and taking him for a ride as well. So another person that's kind of being being used for his kindness. And um, I feel for Boone because he's like an authentically good person. You can tell he's got a good heart. He's trying to do the right thing. And Shannon is just an abuser. And she kind of comes to I like when she's dragging his clothes off the beach and kind of freaking out over it and not wanting to leave things behind. I think she realizes that she kind of lost the best thing in her life with that guy and didn't take it to kind of really took it for granted. So I dig their relationship. And yeah, Boone is the first is the first death of the core cast. So he's gone now at the end of this by the end of this season. Yeah, so what do you sadly. think about what do you think about them? Boone, we hardly knew ye. 
Yeah, I mean, these are the two socialite kids. I like it on the island. You know, you meet these two and you're already like, oh, these two, like Silver Spoon, wealthy, bratty kids. What are they going to get up to? That type of thing. But Boone almost from the from the start is trying to help Jack. He says he's a lifeguard. He's trying to be instrumental in them surviving or acclimating to this new situation. And the Shannon character is funny because I can't help but see her, especially during this time, 2004, 2005, as the Paris Hilton proxy, right? The socialite, the brat, Silver Spoon. She just wants to laugh. The the whole first week of of this whole incident, she's like laying out on the beach and she's worried about her suntan lotion. She's in her bikini and she's not really contributing. And but Boone sort of calls her out on that. And they're interesting because as you find out, they're not blood siblings, they're step siblings. And Boone has this, you know, he's he's got some sort of love for her that goes beyond I don't know, is it incest if they're step step siblings? I guess not, but it goes beyond that platonic love. And there's a lot with Boone that's funny because you got these socialites and you know, you have this these two kids who, you know, never probably lifted a finger at home. Now they have to survive. You know, now they have to literally survive. Locke brings Boone under his wing a little bit. And then Shannon comes along. You find out she's only 20. And but she wants to it turns out, you know, there's a there's a little bit of a growing up arc here. She wants to be helpful. She wants to be instrumental. She kind of forms this relationship this slowly forming relationship with Saeed which I think is really cool and you know I just think I just think it was really fun and the Shannon character was weird for me because I don't think the performance was that great and I remembered her from Taken she might be in Taken too. also she's in all three of them she's all she's in all three I remember laughing in her performance stories I love Taken especially the first one but you know I remembered that like her being like all right kind of a weak link in the acting but it kind of works for the character in this too which i think is interesting yeah good casting it it, it works and she's really she's interesting because she's a really self-sabotaging type she gets into these relationships these predicaments with these men who abuse her and take advantage of her and then boone has to go to the rescue we see him traveling the world basically trying to free her from these situations so it actually played out really cool they're interesting characters and it was sad to see Boone go. Can I also say when Jack was deciding whether he was going to amputate Boone's leg, I was like, oh shit. And he's using the hatch, which I guess was part of the plane. Was it the yeah, part, I think it was it a landing like a, gear thing or yeah, something? something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something very And I'm heavy. like, holy shit, is this going to go like in a saw direction? Because this show will surprise you. It goes into black comedy elements, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to at certain points. So it's not afraid to go off in different directions and switch up the tone a little bit. So that was another thing that I was really like, I don't know if I could take this. Are you really going to do this right now? Well, <laughs> but Boone just dies instead. <laughs> Speaking of the black comedy, I mean, let's talk about Hurley, who I think is that character in the mm-hmm. show. And I really, really like this, this performance by Jorge Garcia. It's funny because... They have to be kind of self-referential about his weight and all of that. They make a couple of jokes about that. Doesn't really make any sense. But the funny thing about loss is anything can be blamed on the island. It's like, oh, the island did this, and the the island is the reason that he doesn't lose weight, even though everyone else does, and all of this. But we find out that he's a, a he won the lottery, and 
I would find his I actually think his backstory is the most interesting because it is most deeply involved in the mystery of the island through the numbers, which we'll talk about in a little while. So we find out that he wins the lottery and then everything goes wrong. And I love the way they show it, like his mom breaking her ankle when they're when he's trying to give her the house and the, the grandpa dying when he's being interviewed and 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 then, of course, crashing on on this island. But I do like how they show that he's trying to get back. Like he's a good hearted man. Like he's trying to get back to be with his mom on her birthday. Like it's very important to him. And so he's a uh, he's fascinating because he really is most deeply connected to the actual mystery. But we don't get too much of him on the island itself. No. And you know what? He's the last. He might be the last of the main, the really core characters whose backstories explored like it's episodes before we get to Hurley. But he's very endearing from the start. I really like the character. I like that we learn first that he's in this halfway house or mental institution. And, you know, he's walking around the island with the with the walk man on with the disc man. And then we find out like this is a this guy has over what he has like 156 million dollars. He's a huge lotto winner. And his life changed so much before this plane crashed. And you're just wondering, yeah, he's got this tie to family and all these things, but it's the numbers. These winning lotto numbers that, again, these numbers that play out in the story so far, that's really at the core of his mystery and the luck, the bad luck thing. I think he's tied to that. And then something weird that they go into a little less so than Hurley with Walt, that Walt has some kind of strange power too. They play into that with the flashbacks with the dead birds and stuff like that. But there's something they're saying something that there there might be a character or two or three that have something to do in some mystical or supernatural way with this plane crash. And Hurley is certainly at the center of that. Yeah, he's uh, I'm, I'm anxious to for you to learn more about about all of that as well. I think it's it's cool to include some good heartedness in such a serious story. So I think that that character is, is quite welcome. And then we have a couple more characters I want to talk about. Claire, we haven't talked about yet who is the Australian girl. I think the only Australian on the island, which is funny because the plane's coming from Sydney. Yeah. But everyone's kind of leaving and going back to the United States, except for obviously the Kims are South Korean, etc., and so on. But we have Claire played by Emily DeRavin. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And um, so this is a, maybe the least interesting character to me in, in some ways. She it's, it's interesting that she's, really pregnant and she's going to obviously have this baby and ends up having the baby on the island. So you're kind of waiting for that to happen. And I also like the courtship between her and Charlie as well. But ultimately she's here. We find out she's betrayed by this guy she's dating. Pretty brutal to watch. Really sad how he's got. Imagine how many times that happens where a guy's like, yeah, let's guys just do it. And then they just, yeah. And then just disappears. And then how easy that is for you to do. But what I really like about her backstory is that, is the whole thing with the dude, the psychic that will not like read her fortune and all that's like so interesting and so fucked. I love it. So that's pretty cool. What do you think about Claire? Yeah, she's awesome. Great performance. Great character. This young mom, she's ready to burst, you know, eight months pregnant. You're like, oh, my God, this this young girl is pregnant on this island. Now what type of thing? And then sorts of her and Charlie form this relationship, this warm relationship, which is really fun and cute. But yeah, that whole psychic thing where the psychic in Sydney is telling Claire, like, don't, 
you know, very mysteriously is saying, have this baby by yourself. Don't raise this child with another person. And she's trying to get to the heart of that. Like, what does that even mean? He won't take her money at first. As Kyle said, he won't even re- do her reading. So there's something also very mysterious going on with the Claire character. And then, of course, her baby is kidnapped by the mysterious Rousseau later on in the in this first season. And Whatever. your uh, turnip head slash Aaron is kidnapped by Danielle. So she's... Uh, you know, she's she's dealing with a lot, this young mom. And, you know, I was curious if she was going to be the first death on the island. Maybe she was going to die in childbirth or maybe she was going to lose the baby. Of course, you're really rooting that she has this this healthy kid and that everything works out. So there was a lot of tension for me with this character, actually, because she's so sweet. Mm. And that whole thing, I think you called it up earlier, Kyle, where it was like, you know, basically, this is the thing, like, Charlie's trying to deal with the highly injured, almost dead Boone while she goes into labor. So that was an interesting thing, too. All right, Dick, the final character of Consequence I want to ask you about is Danielle Rousseau. Mm-hmm. This character is interesting, played by Mira Furlan. Mira Furlan's obviously uh, actually Croatian, I think, and I was reading about her a little bit, escaped from, I think, the Yugoslavian... Oh, wow. Civil War in the early to mid 90s and then came here. She's she's deceased. She died of West Nile virus. Oh, shit. So she is no longer with us. But that uh, sucks. But this character is obviously exceptional. And we learn about her through one of the mysteries that we're going to talk about, which is the French broadcast. And I I want to talk about that a little more closely. But do you have anything to say about Rousseau as a character? Kind of kind of haunting to imagine a woman living for 16 years on the island. And she says she's never actually seen anyone else, but she just knows that they're there and hears them or whatever. And so she lives in this constant state of fear. And obviously that would drive anyone nuts. And we learn, of course, that she was that basically her baby was stripped from her when she was born or he was born. So what do you think about Danielle Rousseau? Anything to say? Interesting character. Who is she? Where did she come from? I think Saeed is the first one to make her acquaintance, right? She captures him and then he escapes and then they come back. She comes back to the camp to warn them to warn the, our, our heroes about the others. But that's such so interesting because this kind of like half-crazed woman who now everybody knows does actually exist comes into their camp and is like, you got to run from these people. And they just take her at face value. And I'm like, what? She could be railroading this entire thing. Like, she could be, this could be some kind of murderous plot. Why, why are you just blindly listening to this woman? And then, of course, she steals, she kidnaps baby Turniphead baby Aaron mm-hmm. so that's the other thing it's like but what are they that that's where listen this is the thing about lost for me so far it's like I'm a, I'm a suspension of disbelief guy all the way like tell me what I gotta do tell me the tone the style what we're doing I'll ride shotgun I'll go along for the journey for the adventure all day like I'm fine but sometimes there's those little things that are just like why are they just blindly following this woman's lead they don't even know who she is or right. what her intentions are yet you right. know type of thing right but she's an interesting character and again one of those core mysteries of what's going on here you know she's all by herself supposedly she lost a child she ran afoul of some other people on the island they did her wrong at least that's her story so far we don't know so there's a lot going on with this character. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Well, there are other characters, too, that I guess we can talk about if you have anything to say about them. I really don't. Rose is a character, kind of a side character. The uh, the woman that thinks her husband's still alive. 
Dude, they drop her like a bad habit. I actually yeah. looked into her to see if the actress died. Oh, no, no. She, she's around. She'll be back. She's fine. She'll be back. Oh, yeah, she's yeah. back. She comes out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They'll get back into I'm that. I'm even looking at her for her in crowd scenes. Like, why isn't right. she at least in the crowd? Like, in the periphery? Like, she's gone off and the show. Up- like, once that whole thing happens, like... All right. We have the ninth grade teacher Arst as well, who's just in it a little bit. But what do you think about having this this these like background characters? They only talk about it towards the end where they talk about how there's a click. Like we're really only getting the perspective of of the click. But most of the survivors are not really in the click. And we no. only kind of see them interact with each other in certain social scenes like the golf scenes and all of that. But background. what do you characters. think about having all these characters that you don't see? I don't know that the, the show would, would be any worse if it was literally just the 14 or 15 of them. Like I, I don't know why you have to have so many people right i think it'd be more interesting that way that's a really good point and that's going to be interesting to see if that plays out if that's some sort of strategy moving forward but it is i am often again i'm a suspension of disbelief guy just give me the rules like i'm fine like i'll i'll go along for whatever you say just tell me what what i have to do to get in lockstep with that but i do often think of like what are these other characters like you can't just show them in the background and not it feels yeah, it feels like they're forming some some sort of like a Lord of the Flies society where like those people don't matter. It's Jack and Kate and Sawyer and Hurley and these guys and the rest of them are kind of like B class citizens that it just feels a little strange to me that you're not considering them. And then when the Arnst character comes in again, I think I automatically knew this guy was going to be expendable. He's like the B-class action figure that you bring into the play. Like, you know, you're going to kill this guy. He's, he's cannon fodder. And then that's where the black comedy thing came in, where he blew himself up. It was like, well, they're going to are they going to really go there? And they go there. And it's like, all right, I don't know. I, I don't know if I understand the rules yet. And it kind of keeps you on your toes. I think it's kind of fun, but it also feels a little bit like they're figuring it out. Oh, yeah. That becomes more you know? of a joke later on in the show. Okay, for sure. Okay. Well, let's talk about the ensemble overall before we talk about the mysteries. Deep Dark Boys wrote in and said, have you guys ever seen another show that has an ensemble cast of this quality? I find that I typically gel with two, maybe three characters in a long running series, but Lost was killing it across the board. I don't know that there's a show that I watch with this many characters in it, with the exception of one, which was Game of Thrones. And when, mm. and when you want to talk about ensemble cast, I mean, the Game of Thrones ensemble cast is is way, 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 Massive. way, way, Massive. way, way, well, bigger, but better. Oh, the I mean, quality. Just, yeah. So I, I don't know about that. I don't think that the loss is the best ensemble quality. No, no, I, don't, I, I think don't you're right. I think yeah. you're right. Mad Men might even be on par with Lost, and that's another cast. Is like doesn't I mean that's have a, that, that's one that weak yeah. spot. Doesn't have one. No, no, that would you don't even, you can't even compare Lost to Mad Men. That's ridiculous. Let's talk about some of the mysteries, and see what you think of them. The smoke mm-hmm. monster. What do you make of the smoke monster? We inter- are introduced to him on. almost immediately, and there's this crazy now i remember i remember this clearly thinking this i don't know if it's true i don't think it is i I think it's just like one of those things i hear but there's a scene where Locke is in a flashback and he's at his desk and he's on a calculator and he's using it and it's making noises the noises that it makes are the same noises that the smoke monster makes oh and or at least they're really similar but the smoke monster makes a shit ton of other noises too and so i'm wondering if it's making noises from people's lives as they as they hear things that from their past. I don't know. I, I remember thinking that at the time and that when I heard it, I was like, oh, that I'm still hearing that. But at this point, the smoke monster is is just a, is a mystery and not necessarily related or interrelated. But we know it is to the things that are 
grabbing the trees and pulling them under the island and all sorts of things like that. So what, what do you make of the smoke monster so far? Any any interest there? I mean, I'm trying to figure out that monster thing from the beginning of the season. It's like you hear the roars. You get a little confused because now you got polar bears and you're dealing with boars. Are they just going to be like huge, giant versions of those like Studio Ghibli-esque Princess Mononoke type things? Are there dinosaurs? Is it going to be a Cloverfield type thing? Is this monster invisible? We get that. Is this some kind of intradimensional thing where you could kind of see it via infrared? I, I, I had so many questions, but then that last interaction when this unforeseen monster or force is pulling Locke down into the ground, you get those mechanical noises. It sounds like chains or a winch or something. And then you're, and you see the way the smoke reacts from the dynamite and stuff. And you're like, what is something supernatural is going on here? That's really my best guess so far is that there's some sort of supernatural, something that defies human understanding, protecting or monitoring this place, this island. That's my, you know, I, I have no idea. I was wondering if they were going to kind of tip their hand a little bit and, and make a, a larger reveal, but it makes sense that they wouldn't do that yet. You brought up the polar bear, so we should bring that up. That's another mystery. The polar bears and the boars. I actually think that they're both important mysteries because they're both not endemic to the island. Right. What do you think of them? What do you think they came from? The polar bear f- was freaky because automatically you're like, all right, Super clever thing to do to put a real live animal, earthly animal in this alien place. Now that that's that almost opens up more questions than if you created a monster, some alien from scratch. You know, by the way, this could be something cosmic. This could be something alien, too. We don't know. I don't know yet. But the polar bear was so crazy because you're like, wait, what what is happening? I thought that was such a clever thing. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. Where it's like, all right, was this some sort of research facility where they were importing animals from different places to see how they would react in this place? And why would they do that? So that opens up a whole nother bag of of questions where you're like, you know, who? I don't know. I don't know. How about we talked about Rousseau earlier, but the French broadcast and the distress signal. Mm. I like how this brings in. And you were talking about it earlier with Shannon. This is where Shannon really shows her use. I love I love actually the shot where she has the headphones like up against her or the radio up against her ear and she like has her eyes closed. It's awesome. It's a really cool shot as the as the camera pans. What do you think about the distress signal, which was really the second mystery of any consequence? We figure out what it says and where it comes from. We, we find Rousseau. Did you dig that mystery? It's resolved at, at this point. Yeah, but it was cool because you knew it was 16, whatever, going on 17 years old that and that something else ran afoul of this place. Some something out this 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 island had hostages and prisoners before this plane crash, before the the crash of flight F uh, eight fifteen. So this French SOS was interesting. But again, they do they do explain its origins, but we still don't know Rousseau's story really because I don't know. I think there's a little insanity going on there. You know. PTSD, whatever's happening at the root of that character. But uh, yeah, there's more to learn there with that French distress signal. And then also the, the fact that Locke admits that he knocked Saeed out when, you know, he hit him over the head with the log or the stick once he was getting, Saeed was getting to the bottom of it. So that's another thing that kind of ties into the mystery of what's going on there with that. We have uh, the numbers. 
we brought him up earlier 48 15 16 23 42 this is one of my favorite things in the show i actually have a shirt i don't fit it in anymore but i have a shirt that has the numbers oh that's on, on it. awesome and um so here's what we know about the numbers the numbers were played by hurley to win the lottery he learned them from a person at the mental institution when he goes back to talk to that person and find and he finds out that he played those numbers he freaks out and then they and we end up finding the numbers in other ways too we find them in way more things later but 815 the flight number uses two of the numbers we find out that kate the bounty that the farmer in australia took out was twenty three thousand dollars, and so on and so forth so there's a lot of connections to these six numbers if you pay attention and on the numbers are also on the side of the hatch which we're going to talk about in a minute of course so and rousseau writes the numbers down over and over again in her notebook and she doesn't know why she's doing it so what what do you think about the mystery of the numbers it's intriguing, man. They got me. When, once I saw them on the hatch, I was like, wait, what is happening? Or probably the biggest thing was Hurley playing those numbers. And then the guy in the mental institution freaking out. Like, you know, you have to stay away from those numbers. Those numbers are bad. That's bad luck. It's a bad omen. It's going to bring bad tidings. It's like, what is going on with these numbers? I, I love stuff like this because it gets into the supernatural or the, the mysticism and maybe even involves luck and symbology and all this so i'm really i'm really looking forward to figuring this out but i i didn't even realize the twenty three thousand dollar thing that's a that's a great point and the fight and the fact that the the flight number is in there too yeah eight fifteen. what yeah don't look too much because it'll spoil for you probably yeah you no that's all the, the other that is the fascinating thing like i don't i never heard about any of this stuff the fact that things could be this unspoiled for me in 2022 is pretty it's pretty enormous, man. I'm, I'm, it's maybe the first time I've ever dealing with something like this, so it's fun. Yeah, I'm trying to find if there's any like full rundown on where the numbers appear. Let's see. Oh my God, each of the each of the numbers has their own Lostpedia page. Okay, and that's enough. Oh, do they really? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about more mysteries. Uh, when they arrive, they stay on the beach for a while, but then they move in into the interior and they find mm. the caves. This is a, a, a the caves are interesting because there's a mystery here that I think is overlooked, which is that there were people dead in the caves. So before they even find Black Rock, before they know that the others exist, before they find Ethan Rom or Rousseau, they actually find these bodies. And so that's like a fundamental and interesting thing, too. What do you think about the, the caves and specifically about the this? weird need for some people to stay on the beach you would think that you would want to reinforce yourself at some point you keep your fire going one person can stay there and you can rotate in and out so it's a little weird but exactly any mystery about the caves and them finding those old corpses that the caves was interesting because you're really wondering where they're going to get a fresh source source of water so you're relieved for them but that that arc where there was the infighting between the party that wanted to stay on the beach and the party that wanted to move inland was so ridiculous because as you said why can't you just go halvesies Right. 18 people stay on the beach. If you're concerned about spotting ships and signals and all that, I understand that consideration. 18 people stay at the caves, refresh themselves, sleep in shelter, protection, all that kind of stuff. And then you trade off every week. You don't have it doesn't have to be all or nothing. (laughs) It's like that was one of those little things where it's like so obvious. It's like I, I could suspend my disbelief again, but please like let's use a little reason here i feel like this show 
does that more often than most things that I've seen where it's like, all right, it's see, really, do I have to get in there and tell you guys how to do this? Like compromise doesn't have to be, you could still be, some people are on the beach, some people are on the cave, then you trade. You know, I feel like any, any group of eight, they figured this out in Lord of the Flies. Those kids were like 13 years old. Yeah, it's you know? true. Although it is, it does bring up an interesting point of why, because someone says like, who made you boss at some point or something to Jack mm-hmm. and, and it is true. Like Locke is just doing whatever he wants. The all, Ultimately, Michael and, and Jin are making the boat and kind of doing their own thing. Right. A lot of people just right, lay around, do anything. So there is a little bit of anarchy and it, it does get into the sociology perhaps of how the situation would actually play out, which is what all Lord of the Flies is all about and why it's so good. Yeah. How about the Beechcraft? They find this Beechcraft, Locke and Boone. It's in the trees. They use it and try to get some messages out, but it falls. It obviously ends up killing Boone. But within, they find the remnants of what were corpses of fake priests that were running heroin in Virgin Mary statues and somehow crashed on the island. So a great mystery there as well. What do you think of them? You know what I loved? I loved that brief, and it seemed like we were going into kind of modern horror territory where Locke, you don't even know initially, it's a dream. He has that vision of Boone, and it's sort of that shaky camera, Dario Argento vibe for a minute, and Boone's bleeding, and then he sees the vision of the plane, and it was like going into really kind of spooky, almost kind of like early aughts horror vibes, the ring, and the grudge and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was really a neat little thing that I, I w- would love to see more in the show. I know it's network television, so you can only push it so far, but that would be really neat. But the Beechcraft thing was interesting because, again, it's sourced from this vision that Locke had. Why did he know? Why did he see that plane in his dreams? Came to fruition. Now we're starting to think maybe this island has a mind of its own. It's sucking things in. It's got this drug smuggling plane up in the trees. And the other thing at the at the root of this going into season two is did that distress signal that Boone had some kind of brief communication who, you know, with who was ever on the other line on the other side of that, did that go out? Was that received? And you Boone, when that plane crashes down, sort of breaks free of the vines and crashes down to the ground. I would I was wondering if they were going to let Boone live through that, because that was pretty traumatic. What happens there? And uh, I really was wondering if Boone was going to make it out or if they're going to start. I don't again, I don't know the rules yet of this show. Are they going to kill these main characters? Can can people die in this world? Is it going to get that grave? So that was a big deal seeing Boone die, because now, you know, anybody is anybody could be positioned for death because he's one of the main characters. Indeed. So that was really cool. So that was a nice thing. And then again, turning that using that opportunity to play up the Charlie character. You know, he's dealing with his monkey. He's dealing with his heroin addiction. Now this life supply of heroin is on the island. And by the end of the first season, he gets wind of it. He's got one of the statues, the Mary statues, actually. So another cool thing that they were able to tie. You know, it's very thoughtful. Sometimes it's weird for me, Kyle. Like with this show, I think having too many balls in the air or too many spinning plates could be really dangerous because it can read like sleight of hand right it could read like look at these shiny balls over here while we try to figure this out you know look at these shiny objects while we try to really kind of work through this problem but 
sometimes it's really thoughtful. So they'll use an opportunity to kind of expand the story of like two or three characters. And that's the type, like with the numbers. And that's the type of thing where you could tell like there's some really thoughtful storytelling going on here, which is, which is fun. Because we're, we're investing a lot of time in watching this thing, try and dissect it, enjoy it. So I like the fact that they're working hard on that stuff. <laughs> for, for sure. There'll be more resolutions. Don't worry. What about Ethan Rom? What do you think about him? Where did he come from? And, and the others, we keep hearing about them. Uh, what do you make about this idea that there are other inhabitants on the island? It's crazy creepy. First of all, it gives you the idea which I'm asking myself the entire run of the season. It's like, what, how big is this place? Because I'm thinking a castaway. It seems like he, at a, at a certain point in the film, he's familiar with the whole island and the, the sort of boundaries and everything. Even Lord of the Flies, same thing. Like there's a, this island. Then we find out when, when the four characters set sail that this place is enormous. This place is a lot bigger than I think everybody thought. So that's the first thing with that. And then, you know, also I think... It, it creates conflict for the characters, too, because at what point do you kind of give in to getting rescued and just try to survive and put your energies into living in this place rather than escaping from this place? You know, if that makes sense. Totally. I, <laughs> I they'll get into a lot more than I think you're going to be really surprised. It's, it, it gets so good in the second season as i remember and I'm, I'm really so i'm like really excited to begin it in earnest because they really do start to resolve a lot of a lot of these things and get yeah, into new cool mysteries but yeah ethan is just the the scratch of the surface my friend how about i, I was so mad oh, when he was killed because they caught up to him charlie uh charlie jack's getting the better of him in, in the fist fight and they kind of got him by gunpoint yeah they got him saeed they there. had him he yeah. could have answered those questions they could have interrogated right saeed could have interrogated him they had him and then Charlie coming in and just wiping out the possibility of us finding anything out by blowing the sky away to the tune of like four shots or something was kind of heartbreaking. I was mad at Charlie in that moment for sure. You understand his uh, his need for vengeance or his anger. But yeah, it's like, oh, but again, very clever writing and finding closing that door on the audience and saying, no, you're not finding out this way. You're not finding out from this character. OK, two more mysteries that we I want to get into with you. The Black Rock. Mm. We hear about this a lot. Ends up being a ship from the 16th century, uh, full of dynamite and all these other things. What do you think of of finding the Black Rock deep in dark territory? As she calls Did it. Did not see that coming, dude. Uh, you know, it also it might be. I think the production quality is pretty good. I know they filmed in Oahu. They filmed on sound stages in Honolulu, and it's a pretty big budget, obviously. But I think finding the Black Rock was the first time I thought that looks fake. That looks yeah, like totally. improvised stage. Totally. No, you know, totally. Like I, I agree with you. No, I agree with you. And I, one of the things that bothers me is it's like perfectly painted in the back still. I'm like, this ship has been here for 400 years. <laughs> it's like perfectly painted. Portsmouth is still visible. The internal. And again, people can be like, it's the island. But um, what oh. I like about but what I like about the Black Rock is that it introduces this element of deep time into mm. into loss. Like we know the Good people point. in the caves were there long enough to decay completely. So a long time. The Black Rock is 400 year old ship. The Beechcraft looks like it's 50 years old, right? Yeah. The Good Ethan point. Rom is in his 20s or th probably in his 30s or something like that, right? So there's like younger people in, in, involved. The smoke monster indicates high technology. Like it's 
it's insanity. I love it. And you can imagine that the Black Rock, the same thing that brought all these other things here, brought that ship here, too, when they were sailing around and exploring. And um, so I dig it. I love that. It's like one of my favorite things when it, when it ended awesome up being a ship. Yeah, yeah. it's sh- that window of time just. Yeah, it got enormous. It's like this thing is whatever's going on here has been going on for a long time. It's awesome. And then, of course, the dynamite and that and the dynamite coming into play, not only having that as a weapon, but how volatile it is to handle. And then that little bit of black comedy, which I feel like that's kind of the only moment. I mean, there's witty interactions and banter between characters, but that's the time. The only time it really went into this thing where it's like not only can the characters be expendable, but we could off them and really shocking ways and you know kind of delves into that thing of like mean-spirited comedy <laughs> it's like all right all all bets are off which i like i welcome that and let's establish that in the first season and finally dig the hatch is the central mystery what do you make of this thing well first of all Locke finds it with boone they find it seemingly randomly so you have to assume maybe there's some luck like you were saying involved in it some reason that they ended up finding it they dig around it probably 10 feet realize this thing's going deep into the ground what's in the hatch Dagan? i don't know i thought it was a submarine at one point is this some kind of spacecraft is it a bunker i don't but at the end you see they finally get this thing open they blow it open with the dynamite there's this long ladder leading down seemingly deep down i don't know i don't know what we got here we now we could assume it's not alien or you know cosmic in nature because it has english writing on it i mean it has numbers on it mm-hmm. so that's one thing i guess but who knows right if you if you're looking at the aliens being tied to egyptians for instance right those so who the who the hell knows but it's 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 interesting it's i'm surprised that i thought the dynamite was not going to work and then it'll be like what is this thing Three sticks of dynamite didn't blow this thing apart. And then also the other thing, the other moment, which character was it where the light, it it must have been Locke. Yeah, it was Locke when the light comes through. The light starts shining from inside. So there's definitely something supernatural or mystical going on here, almost certainly. I don't know how else you would answer that. But um, it seems like one thing that was answered, and I, I couldn't, I was in disbelief or I was certainly not buying into this theory, but I thought there was a slight chance that this could have been Jurassic Park-ish in nature. Like, are we dealing with dinosaurs or ancient beasts here? So we could pretty much, I think, remove that possibility from the equation, but there's a lot of, there's still a lot at play, man. It's hard to figure out. I'm a little frustrated. There's that frustrating thing of knowing that there's millions of people that know this already, but I have to just kind of dig my heels in not spoil it and just go along for the ride totally man i totally, totally. agree nathaniel wrote into us on patreon remember you guys can write into us on patreon patreon.com slash last media get early ad free access as well it says i think lost is more well known for being great at setting up mysteries and less renowned for satisfyingly revolving around or resolving them mm. what are some of your favorite mysteries set up in the first season and then he says as the show continues i'd like to hear more about your favorite resolutions as well as the new mysteries of course well that's the central part of the show but so so what's most intriguing to you right now about like what what do you need an answer for more than anything mm. i think the very nature of john locke who who is this guy and what are his intentions is definitely at the heart of it because he's a fascinating character and also can i say just an awesome performance like 
just consummate watching. The quality is outstanding. I think Hurley's luck, finding out if that's something to do with anything, and then, you know, the nature of this hatch and the nature of whatever monster, monsters, or force of nature, whatever's going on, with what's protecting or overseeing this island or, you know, this murderous force, whatever, I don't know. You know, just everything going on here, you know, I, I, th- at the very nature of the island itself, I think is what intrigues me most at this point. Also, there's the whole thing at play of what happens right before the ending where, you know, our four heroes on the raft, Walt's kidnapped by these people. Who the hell are these people? How did they get out so far in this actual boat? This small but actual boat. Gonna take that boy. Right? And who the hell are these people? That's the other thing. I'm like, what is happening? So that's fresh in my mind too. There's just a lot going on. And I, I also would it's I also really am eager to find out what Kate did. We know some of the things she did. We know some of the things she's capable of, but what did she do? What threw her into this morass or this this uh you know, this life of crime or setting her on the lamb and all this. That's one thing I'm really eager to find out. I like the character, so. Mystic Mace wrote in and said, excited for this series. One of my favorite shows of all time, and I usually do a rewatch every other summer. We'll have to do that now to keep up with knockback. The theme of white versus black or good versus evil is prevalent across the series. Would love Mm -hmm. to hear that explored and if you noticed it at all during the season. So they get into it literally one time, I think, when... They're playing backgammon when Locke and Walt are playing backgammon yes. and he holds Great the pieces point. up. But have you fi- have you felt that that polar- para- polarity in the show yet? You know, a lot of the time is spent trying to figure out. And I think that's our nature, right? Especially with watching TV or movies, reading books. We're trying to f- suss out who's good and who's evil. Uh, for me, I'm you know, I'm I'm questioning the character's intentions, especially enigmatic mysterious characters like Locke. it's like what does this guy want what's fueling him is he a force of good or is he a force of evil you know is he bad or is he good i don't know so that there is a there's a lot of that in this but i feel like there's a there's a handful of characters we're not sure yet one of the things i wanted to ask you as we go um and we can talk about whatever else we didn't talk about yet if you'd like christopher toffolo wrote in about this he says greetings brothers glad you are doing going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole lost is well known for its literary references from twain's tom sawyer to joyce's ulysses and more Mm. but it goes one step further in some instances with having actual characters read certain books on the island for example sawyer is reading what is seen what reading watership down in season one how do the themes of that book surface in the overall story of season one and or in the character of sawyer through lost first season did you notice any other references like this thanks and be well the literary references in this show are actually very deep and it goes right to the characters names. So, you know, Sawyer, it was brought up already. Sure. But um, Kate's last name is Austin spelled A-U-S-T-E-N. Oh, um, shit. I don't know if I realized Boone's that. last name is Carlisle, who was a famous British philosopher. Locke's name is speaks for itself um, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on here as well. Rousseau there is another go. example. Yeah. So did you pick up on any of the literary stuff? I, You and I are really into that in Mad Men specifically. They are very into that in Mad Men. And I find that there is a definite mirror here with Lost. I don't know if that came off to you. I love that. I mean, the Watership Down reference. I love the fact that they had Sawyer sort of passing his time by not being helpful and just reading books 
and magazines and stuff. But Richard Adams, Watership Down, is that's one of my favorite books. And you know, that's a book that's a about a group of characters who are thrust into this situation, and it's a quest. It's a communal quest for survival. You know, so you could understand that being a reference to some T.S. Eliot in there. But I love that, and I love all those little kind of. I guess you would call them Easter eggs, although that's a kind of a played out term. I love having that kind of thoughtfulness and almost the inspiration for the story kind of thrown into the story itself. It's a very, it's always a great thing to do that. And it's, it fuel, I think it's, you know, you could see the passion that it's fueled by because of those literary references. And that's fun. I'm, I got to be a little more in tune with that. I think I, I was a little sloppy with that in this season. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to discuss about season one of Lost? You know what? I'm having fun. I think the show finally got me and it's a good time. I'm looking forward to season two because there's a lot of open-ended stuff going on, a lot of questions that need answering. And I think, you know, I think like a lot of great stuff that we talk about, there's just really good characters that we're invested in and you want to see how this plays out for them. And, you know, and... I like tying in their very human dramas, their backstories via flashback, the monkeys that they're dealing with, the relationship problems, the issues, the baggage that they're bringing into the story. So it's not only a a matter of survival on this island as a team, it's a matter of individual survival and overcoming whatever they're dealing with. Very clever formula for a show. And uh, season two should be... Should be good. I'm I'm excited, especially knowing that you're excited about that particular season. Oh, yeah. Season two, dude, I, I it, you're going to have we're going to be talking about things that we have not. I, I want to talk about, but we can't talk about yet. But we will at the end <laughs> of season two. Many we'll soon. You, there's so much in season two that they're going to answer. So uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited for you. Yeah, we'll do it in a couple weeks. I'm excited for you to keep going. I'm going to keep going um, probably this weekend and just keep, keep yeah, watching. Momentum so is important, especially because I know that in the first season of the second like the first episode of the second season is awesome. I remember, I remember how it opens and you're going to love it. So I'm very lucky because, you know, we talked about this in the beginning of the episode. I didn't have that cliffhanger type experience. Now I watched it on Amazon's freebie, which is a commercial model. So I had to watch it with commercials. So I got a little taste of the original airing that way, but you know, I don't have to wait week to week to find out answers. I could just keep going and, savor that momentum and i think jumping into season two is going to be the same thing i think that momentum is important because you're in the spirit of the thing not only with trying to figure out the riddles and the answer the questions but just getting in lockstep with all those little things that are you know those little details that could go overlooked if you're not being super attentive so yeah the momentum is going to be going to be fun and it's a different it's a different watching experience you know we don't have the water cooler experience but we could do it we could catch up every couple of weeks so it's fun yeah i'm excited i'm really interested to see you get further in and and yeah we'll get we'll get deeper into the mysteries of the island somewhere in the south pacific who knows where i was going to ask you although i really kind of asked you this several times but I, you know to put you more on the spot it's like if you had to say now what what is going on do you have any like do you have an answer You know what? There's part of me that wants it to be, I don't know, there's part of me that that thinks about the idea of coincidences and wants to see them do something with that, but there's clearly something supernatural, so I think 
I don't know. I'm 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 kind of weighing what I would like to see versus what I think it is, and I think it's something scientific on the island. Like I think there's some sort of scientific thing that happened on that island that's kind of the fallout of some kind of situation that has a mind of its own type of thing. What I don't want to see is something extraterrestrial or supernatural. I'd rather see something that's of the earth that man created that maybe went awry, if that makes sense. That type of thing. And I think I broke myself of just wanting to see a disaster story. Like that's what I thought it was going to be going in. And that's what I was fixed to deal with. I think was like, okay, hey, this human survival story, how are these, this group of people going to survive on this Island together? But now I think maybe something underhanded would be kind of cool. You know, I don't want to say the evil scientific corporation or pharmaceutical corporation or that type of thing, but maybe something like that would be kind of fun. And, you know, how it affects these people, how it affects these very specific people and how that could kind of elicit our empathy and all that kind of thing. I can't ask you the same question because, you know. Yeah, I know too much. You know so much, my friend. Well, answers are coming. I'm very excited to talk about the next season. And in the meantime, thank you all out there for watching us speak about Lost Season 1, which, um, by the way, you I forgot to say this at the top. I thought I was really cute, right? I, I was like, okay, so I'm like, I'm smart. I know things. And then I in my mind, I'm like, who, where, where, where was Lost? I was like, ABC. Okay, so who owns ABC? Well, Disney. So I was like, all right. Losses on Disney Plus. So without even looking, I just signed up for Disney Plus. Oh, and then and then I went and looked, and I'm like, nope, no. not here. And then and then where was it? Hulu, which I already had. Oh, so it's I on Hulu. Yeah, it's on Hulu. Where did you watch it? I watched it on Freevee, which is like Amazon. Amazon apparently bought IMDb, IMDb, and then started right. this thing called Freevee, which is Amazon mm. Prime with commercials, essentially. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, it's it's on Hulu if you're interested without commercials. That's where I'm watching it. But okay, uh, or, I mean Hulu has commercials too, but I I pay for the. I can't the, imagine paying like eleven dollars for Hulu with commercials. It's like, are you kidding? Just pay the fifteen dollars, please. I tried that years ago. It's it was infuriating. It's insanity. It's like, dude, <laughs> they want you to just give them the extra money, like they're trying to annoy you. So, oh, I could switch to Hulu now. That's good because the free yeah. thing was kind of driving me nuts. Yeah, it's it's on Hulu, and uh, yeah, so I just thought people would find that funny because I did successfully identify where I thought it should live, but for some reason it's on Hulu. So. <laughs> And I forgot to mention the other important thing, and maybe we can talk about it more because it'll become more prescient later in the series, is that Netflix or Lost was one of the first streaming phenomenons on Netflix. Like when Lost was still on, the first three or four seasons were on Netflix, like right in the beginning when they first started streaming on PS3 and Xbox 360 and all that. So it it must be I wouldn't I would imagine that's one of their biggest shows ever still. And it's. At some at some point, it was there for years, and at some point, they it it left. So, um, I think it was during a time when companies were not as clever with their licensing and didn't know what they had, and Absolutely. so I think Netflix somehow had lost captive for like a very long time. <laughs> it's the same thing they did with The Office and Seinfeld and all that other shit, and they they had to relinquish all that. But all right, Dave, let's end this episode of Knockback like we do each and every week with a dad joke. All right, I got a good one for you. This is from our friend, our pal. Jorge on Twitter, DM, Kyle. This kind of ties into the episode a little bit. Do they allow loud laughing in Hawaii or just a low ha? <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> 
By the way, does the show feel like it's filmed on Hawaii? I, th- I think they really do a nice job of making it feel like it's not anywhere no, you've seen. I feel like I could be South Pacific y somewhere near Fiji. Wake Island. <laughs> the corpses of Japanese soldiers. How did it go so that. wrong? How did they get a thousand miles off course six hours into a flight? Just seems know. like a little too much of a coincidence to me. Right in the middle of the flight, six hours in over the Pacific. What is going on here, dude? I don't know, my friend. You're going to find out. You're, I'm telling you, you're going to like the second season because it's all about the mysteries, as I remember. So mm, that's fun. So you're going to. Yeah, it'll be. Oh, my God. We're going to. So we're, the things we're going to talk about at the end of the second season are totally different than the things we're going to be talking about. Or we, we are talking about now. I'm yes. excited. man. All right, my friend. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate all of you out there for your love, kindness and support of Knockback and all things Last Stand. Patreon.com slash Last Stand Media. You can buy merch, by the way, LastStandMedia.store. I think that's what it is. Isn't that what, it, what the link is now? I have to always look. Let me Check see here. Out. It's in the Don't sacred symbols. Yeah, LastStandMedia.store. And remember, we have free domestic shipping on all stickers. So check that out if you'd like. And nice. um, leave us nice reviews on iTunes. You can watch it on YouTube. Most of you guys like to listen to Knockback, but some of you like to watch because you're perverts. So <laughs> that's it. Day. Thank you. Thank, Thank you all you. out there. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Daniel D'Amore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Innerfield, Josh Sullinger, Mad Cats, Bloodborne Cart, Sultan Al Katani, David Ghetto, Lord Starscream, Jacob Donovan, Eduardo Perez, My Name is Mayo, Logan Byford, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Nog, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Blake Nesbitt, Sword of Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Reniger Graham, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez, Espinoza, Chris Kelly, Remington Wilson, Dustin Graff, Zach Cohen, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Allen Rui, Quentin Vedens, John Keegan, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Paredes, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Andreas Wessling, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Trey Woodward, Antonio C., Jay Getter, Assassinated Devil, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Of Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapierre, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Hart, Matt Flowers, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnan and Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Simon Dunbar, DB Cooper, Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Todd B. Canning, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVio, Chris Morton, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Impossible Traveler, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algorit, Dominic, Mike Menzel, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, 
Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Tom Quinn, Spencer F., Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kinniston, The Rose Experience, and Grizzled Veterans Media, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondolker, Alex Monez, Daryl Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, David I. Colucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Ashley Carlson, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.